May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. And there are people in this world who have very real problems. Consider, for instance, the plight of this poor soul who wrote, After flying back from France, I took a taxi home to the airport. About halfway home, I put on the longest of the four versions I have of Mozart's 41st Symphony. And I listened to it through my high-quality, noise-canceling headphones. The taxi arrived at my house three minutes before the end of the final movement and the climactic finish. I could have continued listening indoors, of course, but it just would not have been the same. What a tragedy. The taxi arrived three minutes too soon. If you can't feel that pain, you just have no soul. Um, Another one like this, uh, this person writes, I live in London, but my current work as a consultant takes me from France to Italy, uh, takes me rather to France and Italy every week. I wanted to go see the Don Giovanni at the Royal Opera House in London where I live. I checked the dates, and the one day that it was on when I wasn't working in Italy, in Italy, I was already going to the other major London opera house, the English National Opera House. The one day, the one opportunity, I already had another opera scheduled. You can feel it, can't you? A few more of my personal favorites. I have too much dip for my chips. When I buy more chips, I have too much chips for my dip. And when I buy more dip, I have too much dip again for my chips. The cycle, it's vicious. Here's a good one. I just moved in. The internet is not going to be installed for two more days. What shall I do? (laughs) You're going to like this one. I have too much cash in my wallet and it hurts my rear end when I sit down. Ladies, the cashmere lining on my calfskin gloves keeps getting caught on my diamond ring. <laughs> These are the types of complaints um, that you might hear. Uh, today's Graduate Sunday. The graduates will tell you what these are called. They call them first world problems because they're not real problems. They're the complaints of people who live in a society so filled with luxury that they sort of have to make up things to complain about because there are not real problems. Uh, If there's a a long line at Starbucks, if your drink has too much ice or too little ice in it, if your steak is overcooked or slightly undercooked, that might be an inconvenience. It might not have been what you're expecting. But it is not a problem. It's not a real problem. It's not the sort of real problems that people in this world face. Let me give you just a few real world problems. Hunger kills more people in the world every year than AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. One out of every nine people will go to bed in our world hungry tonight. One out of every nine. 3.1 million children under the age of five die every year from malnutrition. 3.1 million every year. Those are real problems. Let me give you a few more. The Islamic State has murdered thousands of people in Iraq, Syria, and Libya for such crimes as these. Being a Christian. Being a Shia Muslim. Being a woman with your head uncovered. One out of every ten children living in the United States comes from homes where domestic violence is a regular daily occurrence. One in ten. Most school classrooms have 30 children in them. Do the math. 
500,000 Mar- uh, uh, Americans are thought to be addicted to heroin right now. I checked this morning, just to double-check these numbers. In 2013, 1,000 people in the state of Ohio overdosed on heroin. Five years ago, just 200. Five-time increase in just a few years. These are real problems. Real problems that don't even include things like severe droughts, economic uncertainty, nuclear proliferation, international terrorism, government corruption, and on and on and on. And so while I know it is annoying to have six people in front of you in the line at Starbucks, I've been there too, right? it's not a real problem. It's not a legitimate one. If you lived in the world of the first century and you were Jewish and you lived in Israel, you had an understanding of what real world problems were all about. You would have lived as a Jew in an occupied country. Um, If you can imagine what it must have been like for the French or the Poles to live under Nazi occupation uh, during the Second World War, imagine a much more difficult plight because the Romans were not nearly as civilized as the Nazis. There would be enormous taxes to pay. I know, nobody likes taxes. I have to make that check out every year, too. It's painful, I know. But that's, that's not what they would experience. They would experience taxes so crushing that it took food off the table. That it was so difficult to just meet those daily burdens. Young people would be so angry about the Roman occupation that they would gather in, in, in groups and put bandanas around their face and throw rocks at Roman soldiers. And then they would do these roundups in the neighborhood and and grab every young boy of that particular age and slaughter them in the streets to make an example of what happens to young men who do that, whether they participated in it or not. What makes matters worse, what really added insult to this injury, is if you were a Jew living in Israel in the first century, none of this is the way things are supposed to be. This isn't the way that God had promised life in the Bible. And you might have been tempted to say, you know, hey Lord, remember this, remember what you said here, because none of that is going on. You would have felt as if you had been abandoned by God. There might have been legitimate reason, you understand the the reason why God had abandoned Israel, but it, it felt like it was just oppressive. And you believed, you had to believe that one day God would return to Israel, that he would return to his people and that things would be changed, that their fortunes would be reversed, the Romans would be gone. And you would pray, oh Lord, please come quickly. When will this finally be over? When will this national nightmare finally be over? Because before the Romans, it was the Syrians who, over, who oversaw and oppressed the, the Jews. And before the Syrians, there were the Greeks. And before the Greeks, there were the Persians. And before the Persians, there were the Babylonians. And so for 600 years, these people have lived under oppression from foreign governments. And maybe you remember some of the story. Uh, Israel under David and Solomon had experienced great prosperity and great peace. The country had, um, had experienced this widespread sort of wealth and, and strength, and, and they were kind of like a, a big dog on the corner, you know. They were, they were uh, feared by their neighbors and respected, and, and they had many things that were going for them. But as, as life got very good and, and wealthy, uh, Israel forgot 
their faith. They forgot what it meant to be part of God's covenant people, and they began to break covenant with God. They went after other religions. They started practicing lifestyles that were more like the pagan neighbors than the ones that God had given to them. They forgot the Ten Commandments. Worst of all, they not only forgot the plight of the poor, they actually began to exploit them, to use the poor and to to make themselves richer on the backs of the poorest of the people. And so God sends prophets, preachers, who kept saying the same thing. Stop. Stop this. Turn around. Repent. Return to the covenant. Return to the Ten Commandments. Live by this way. And God will relent. If you do not, there will be punishment. And you know the story. The one I just told you. And in 587, the Babylonians came in. And from 587 until the day of Jesus, they continually lived under foreign occupation, save for a little brief window uh, during the Maccabean period. But th- there was this constant foreign oppression. When will there be a Davidic king? When will the priesthood stop being corrupted and living under the authority of Rome? When will there be prophets who will once again preach in our midst? And then along comes Jesus. A prophet like none other. I mean, a really great prophet. A prophet whose preaching was so powerful that people responded. But he was more than just a prophet. He was a healer. He was a miracle worker. He could do great things. This person had all the promise and and, and all the hopes were raised. Now I want you to think, in that context, what Jesus' first words in Mark's Gospel are. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. The time is fulfilled. Remember, your, your prayer would be, When, Lord? When are you going to come? When will you deliver us from these Romans? The time is fulfilled. Now. Now the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. Now we get kind of messed up with this kingdom of God language, mostly because Matthew uses kingdom of heaven language. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are really synonymous terms. Matthew uses kingdom of heaven because he doesn't like to use the proper name of God, lest as a pious Jew he might be you know, violating the commandments. And so what he does is he speaks about the kingdom of heaven. When Matthew speaks of kingdom of heaven, he doesn't mean the place that people go when they die. He means the rule of God in this present world. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as Mark says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. God's rule in this present world is right now. First century Jew. No more Romans. No more oppression. Wealth prosperity, good times are on their way. It's going to happen. It's time. The one thing that you would have said is, Hallelujah! Praise the Yahweh! Our God is coming back. Things are going to get good again. The only question is the end game. When will it take place? You know, how soon can we get this program going? I mean, we've waited 600 years. I feel like I've waited 600 years for things at a time or two, but never really, right? 600 years we waited, and now it's time. So listen again with that context of these words of Jesus. And he said, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and, he, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of, in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest had come. 
The kingdom should come like a rocket ship, right? Blasting off. I know, they didn't have rocket ships in the first century. The kingdom should come like a big giant boulder shot out of a catapult. Like a big flaming rock flying at a Roman garrison and destroys them. Like, boom, you know, like a, a major explosion. That's the way the kingdom should come. Not like a seed planted in the ground. Nobody wants to hear this. You know how seeds are in the ground. Anybody ever plant things? You know, you, you put it in and you water it. I did a garden last year. I didn't do one this year. Because there's, there's too much work, you know? And, and it's too slow. The farmer's market is like, you know, a 10-minute walk from my house. I can go down there. They've already done all the work. They, you put these little seeds in the ground and they, it, it just takes forever. And then finally you see what looks like a little blade of grass. And you water it and you water it and you tear away the other things and you want, and it grows a little more and a little more. You're waiting for a pepper. You've got a salad on the table for crying out loud. Give me something. This is not a good word. This is not what anyone wants to hear. How will the kingdom arrive? Well, the way a, a plant comes up out of the ground. He goes on. With what shall I compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like the grain of a mustard seed. Oh, my word. You can almost feel the groan, right? Another agricultural metaphor. That's really where we're going with this. Which, when sown in the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth, and yet when it has grown up, becomes larger than all the garden plants. The kingdom should arrive like a stone out of a slingshot. Right? It should come flying in. It should land on the shores of Israel like like. An army invading a foreign country. This is the way the kingdom should come. Not like a tiny little seed planted in the ground that takes forever to sprout and grow. Oh, sure, it'll grow big and tall, I understand. But who has time for that? God's return to Israel was not like anyone had imagined. People could only conceive in the ancient world of a kingdom that was political. Perhaps a problem we might still wrestle with a bit today. Big problems needed big political solutions. We need a new administration. We need, um, we need God at the top of the ticket. That's what we need. If that happens, boy, oh my, watch out. It's going to come like a, like a rocket ship or a catapult or a rock out of a slingshot. God is king. We need that sort of paradigm, that sort of a, a political leader. When that happens, you know what's going to happen. Man, we're going to be rich. There's going to be luxury. It's going to be wellness. All the things that are going to make life great. And by jingles, it's going to happen quickly. Very, very quickly. When we move from our first world problems to real world problems, we look at the real world problems that we have today Things can get a bit daunting, can't they? How do we fix world hunger? How do we fix widespread disease? How do we free people from drugs and alcohol and violence and selfishness and greed? How do we do that? And how does that happen in this world? Who's going to make the quick fix? I mean, who's the candidate? What's the program going to be called? Tell me that. Because, you know, I want in on some of that. And nobody wants to hear this, but I'm going to say it. There's no quick fix. There's no candidate. There's no political program. There is only this, that the kingdom of God changes people. It really does change people. 
that when that little tiny seed is planted, it really does go in and begin to work in a human heart and really transform a person into a different kind of human being. And when people begin to see others living like Jesus, living with compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility, when they see people who do justice and love mercy and live in humility, it changes people. It can change one person. And if it can change one person, it could change two people. And two people could spread that to four people and four to eight. And one person could change a home. It could happen. Imagine what would happen. Imagine if, if there was a, a, a husband and a father in a home who was, who was addicted to substances and violent and cruel and, and, and became a Christian and was transformed. Imagine the impact it would have on his wife and children. The same thing for a woman who is a mother or, or, or a child. I mean, imagine if there's a bully on a school ground who became a Christian and became gentle. Imagine the, the, the impact that would have on other people. And one person could change a home. And one home could change a street. And one street could change a neighborhood. And on and on it goes. The kingdom works just like that. Oh, you say, isn't there a quicker way? Isn't there a better way to do this? No, there's not. I mean, goodly for us, right, that it's been 2,000 years this kingdom's been growing. It's a pretty big tree. There are about 2 billion birds nesting in its leaves right now. More than a third of the world. I mean, we've got a... Somebody did a huge favor to us and gave us a huge head start. But we have a job to do. We are still sowers of those seeds. That's what we do. How do we fix real world problems? You sow the right seeds. And that means we don't spend our time and our money and our energy on things that don't work. We instead put them where they do. Where the most change can happen for the most people for the longest time. That's our job. That and nothing else. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.